my list of places that, I, that took corporate housing. Um, I started building a brand for the business. I started identifying what customers I really want to, um, what customers I really want to appeal to. And then on my first deal, I took out, I was in Austin, Texas at the time, but I came to Houston, Texas. I viewed three or four different apartments. I found the exact apartment that allowed for me to start the beginning of my business. And then from there, that's how the history books were written. Mm. So was that first apartment, because I had a coaching call with somebody just a couple of days ago, and her question was, do I go to a big corporation that is trying to lease up a unit? Do I go to a small mom and pop landlord? Which one did you go to? And I don't know if you remember, because it's been a couple of years, but what was that? What was that? Like, how did you present yourself? What was your pitch? To give yeah, so, yeah, so I wasn't really, I guess, all that knowledgeable in the moment. So I worked with a realtor and she helped me to be able to find places that we went to all big places. So I focused on great star units. What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What is up, E? My brother, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is January 6th or 7th, and I feel this year has already had 100 days. Um, I don't know if anybody else is feeling that way, but there is so much good going on everywhere um, when you focus on your own life and what it is that you're up to. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people from our community reaching out to me um, really hungry. Like I feel like people, I don't know, 2020, I think 2020 has kind of really shaken up some things for some people and people are really eager to take action and do things in a big way, um, which is, you know, which is great. Um, and as you know, we're very huge believers in the average of the five people you hang out with. So just to see everybody around me just being on fire gets me, gets me excited, gets me going. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. We're, uh, you know, moving forward, um, finishing up the books for 2020, just reviewing everything, um, coming up with a game plan for that 22 unit hotel that we're, we're launching in March. Yeah. Um, and just been going all out on Clubhouse, which is where we met our rock star guest today, which I'm pumped to bring on in just a minute here. Uh, if you guys are not on Clubhouse, uh, make sure, I would highly recommend it. It is it is addicting. I'm not going to lie, but the the conversations that you get into are just phenomenal. It's like literally being in a boardroom and just listening to you know some really high level people talk shop and strategy and tactics and everybody's just so giving freely of all their information and their secrets. It's been incredible. And I know we we're hosting rooms almost daily at this point in there, just trying to, you know, give people tips and tricks and strategies for launching, automating and scaling a short-term rental business. Um, so it's been a blast, but anyway, uh, without further ado, I want to introduce our guest today, 
Brian Fontenot, who is a short-term rental connoisseur. He has a portfolio of over 20 units in the Houston area that he has built up using the rental arbitrage model, which we have touched on in this podcast. Uh, Brian and I connected on Clubhouse, got into a bunch of rooms and on some panels together, and he was sharing so many good nuggets. I was like, man, we got to get Brian on the show. And uh, without further ado, Brian, welcome, man. We're so pumped to have you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, sharing the panels with you, just learning from the, uh, others in the short-term rental space. 2020 was a year that was definitely uh, tried our business, and we had to make a lot of pivots and changes. But ultimately, everybody that's come out has come out stronger. So it's just been great to see um, a lot of you know interaction with the short-term rental community and seeing how people are really succeeding and finding success. So I'm looking forward to 2021 being great for everybody, but sharing the gems that you need to get started into getting your short-term rental business off the ground and anything that I can help that, you know, will help you to be able to be a better host. Yeah, definitely. Why don't you just give us kind of that two minute drill on how you got started in this business? Like what were you up to before and kind of what led you down this path? Wow. So it was a crazy time for my own life. I uh, made the transition from a nine to five job into entrepreneurship through short-term rentals. So I ended up leaving my job. Uh, which I didn't exactly have a plan exactly what I wanted to do and ultimately gave away all of my 401k in some form of scholarships um, to students and then ended up turning to short-term rentals as a way for me to be able to create my income. Um, fast forward two years later, I learned a lot of lessons, but most importantly, I had a lot of mentors along the way. And if it hadn't been for my friend who let me crash to this place for about a week right after I had quit my job, I probably wouldn't have even been in short-term rentals. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. So what what happened there? Like what made you be like, okay, this is the moment? Because I think going back to what I was saying in the opening of, of the episode, I think that's where a lot of people are, right? Especially in this first quarter of the year is the people being like, okay, this is what my goal is by the end of the year. And they just need to maybe hear from you. Like what made you take that leap? Of like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't do what I'm doing any longer. How do I? Whew, man, that's a good question. So ultimately for me, it came down to my desire that entrepreneurship was something I always had envisioned for myself. I set a goal that by 2020, I wanted to be out of the corporate America. I love my job. I love where I worked. Uh, but, you know, I just aspired for a different challenge. And so what ended up happening for me was that I just decided ultimately to make that leap because I wanted to keep my goals and keep my honesty to myself. Now, I didn't exactly have the plan in mind, but I knew that there was an opportunity out there and I was just urging for more. And I guess they say, you know, change happens when uh, change happens for you when you're tired of what it's like when you feel consistent. And I was just burning for an opportunity. I had found success really quickly in my nine to five, but there wasn't exactly too much opportunity for advancement. And I knew that there was a more out there that I could go out there and work to achieve. So because of that, you know, as I always joke, uh, uh, the man upstairs knows that I'm stubborn. So he had to find a way to get me to move. And there were the right number of factors that said, all right, you know what, Brian, take the leap. There's nothing holding you back. And I did it. And it was the best decision I've ever made. Mm. Mm, I love, I love, I love what he said there. Uh, what you said there when um, you went like, I had to be honest with myself, right? I had to keep the honesty with myself. Because I think that it's a, such a huge way of like approaching life. Because if you're able to, you know, extreme ownership, it's, it's a book that Mike and I both, I think, read a couple of times. Um, that's all life is. 
it's, it's that willingness of like, okay, I owe it to me to do it and just jump. I love that. You know, a lot of things in life, I, I, one of the things I told myself is that I would stop being a victim to my own life. And what that means is that if I want change out of it, I have to go make change. I don't expect for anybody to give it to me because I think a lot of times we can get complacent to the way that things are and say things can't change. But when we take the courage that we need and we go out there and we try to make things happen, that's when we'll start seeing the fruits of our labor and ultimately get to those things that we desire. Mm. So for you, what did that, what did that first deal look like for you? Cause there's so many people that are, you know, quote unquote, trying to get in the game. How did you get into that first deal? Yeah. So after going to Atlanta, I had a friend who was uh, named Carlos uh, who raved uh, about Airbnb and that he was making like thousands of dollars on his rental unit. He had bought a house and turned into a rental art, rental unit. And so I went out to uh, Atlanta State with Carlos for a week and Carlos just showed me everything that he was doing. We kind of learned about foreclosures together. We learned about uh, the hard market, the, like tax liens and such. And so essentially I started analyzing different types of real estate. Then I spent probably, I don't know how many hours on YouTube watching Sean Rakovich, Airbnb automated videos and even paid for mentorship from Sean to really kind of help me understand how to get started. But I started making uh, my list of places that, I, that took corporate housing. Um, I started building a brand for the business. I started identifying what customers I really want to, um, or customers I really want to appeal to. And then on my first deal, I took out, I was in Austin, Texas at the time, but I came to Houston, Texas I viewed three or four different apartments. I found the exact apartment that allowed for me to start the beginning of my business. And then from there, that's how the history books were written. Mm. So was that first apartment? Because I had a coaching call with somebody just a couple of days ago. And her question was, do I go to a big corporation that is trying to lease up a unit? Do I go to a small mom and pop landlord? Which one did you go to? And I don't know if you remember, because it's been a couple of years, but what was that? What was the, like, how did you present yourself? What was your pitch to give yeah, people? So, yeah, so I wasn't really, I guess, all that knowledgeable in the moment. So I worked with a realtor and she helped me to be able to find places that we went to all big places. So I focused on Great Star units uh, specifically. And kind of my pitch was that, you know, I, I really didn't approach it in the way that I approach it now, but I think it was just like, I wanted to be, uh, I was a corporate housing provider and I wanted to be able to have access to a, a unit for people to stay that would come on shorter periods of time. And so I didn't at that time even talk, I think to the property manager, I just talked to a leasing professional. And so they verified that they could do like a corporate lease and they allowed us into the unit. Mm. And then are you building, so all of your stuff now is all in Houston. Are you all concentrating in one specific neighborhood? Are you all concentrating in one specific building that you've built a relationship with? Or what does that look like for you? Now we've really focused on building relationships with properties. And so, because we want to be a good tenant, right? We're there and our ultimate goal is that we hope that we can market for them, bring new business for them, offer our units as guest suites. So different things that add value add to these properties. And so in the properties that we're in now, we have, uh, buildings that really uh, want us to be there and we serve a benefit for them. And we also focus on places that have low occupancy so that we can really add a value add. If, you know, we've even offered our units to be a place where if they have somebody that's on the, on the line of actually signing a long-term lease, then um, I recommend for them to even allow them, the people to stay in our units just so they can get a one-night experience what it's like on the property. 
And so, like I said, we focus on really adding a value add. Mm. That's, that's some that's, gems that's, right that's, there. Because yeah. I think a lot of people have this fear, this, this limiting belief, like why would, why would an apartment community rent to me when they could just rent to somebody else? Right. And it, mm-hmm. to your point, it just comes down to what benefit am I bringing? Right. So you talked about, you threw that, that one in there that I really liked at the end about, you know, you can almost leverage that like an overnight model unit. Mm-hmm. Like somebody could stay in that unit overnight instead of just showing them a model unit, um, looking for properties that have lower vacancy. Right. So, and from that perspective, are, how do you identify those? Are you looking for like new developments or how do you kind of identify like what their vacancy is looking like? So I kind of try to work uh, at a high level working with the property management. Um, I start with a realtor that kind of just helps me to find the information that I need to know about those properties and which ones might have occupancy needs. And then, you know, then from there, I try to have a conversation with the management and even also area managers, just seeing where they have needs, right? Because they recognize the business, they see the portfolio. And so uh, just, you know, trying to build the relationships to know where they have needs and then seeing if that's something that can be a profitable business for us and then making it a win-win situation. Yep. I know one thing we've talked quite a bit about on Clubhouse is signing the lease in your personal name versus a corporate lease. You want to talk about that real quick on just making sure people get started the right way? Yeah. So uh, what I recommend definitely is that you don't go the route of signing it in a personal name. Um, Essentially, a lot of people think this business is subletting and you're not exactly subletting because you're not assigning tenant rights to people so that people can be able to uh, stay like as an actual tenant, you're giving them a short-term occupancy permit to be able to use your unit. But in order for you to do that, you need that to be in a business name because a business entity cannot be physically inside of a place, whereas a person can be. And so that's what allows for us to be able to make sure that we can have the offering of a short-term, uh, a short-term occupancy to be in those, in, in the spaces that we're at. And so also, uh, it's just, I know people have been trying to do this like on their personal and don't tell what they're doing, but you want to make sure that it's a relationship, right? We don't want to do anything under the radar with any of these buildings. We want to be honest about our, our business and intent, but we also want to make it in a structured way. So there's other kind of procedures that are the tenants that stay with, I mean, well, the guests that stay with us, not tenants um, that come to our units have to go through so that we're abiding by the rules of the community. Like, for instance, we do background checks on every person that checks in. It is excessive, but that's the same quality standards that these buildings have to go through when they're leasing somebody with uh, a a full-time tenant. So that's why I want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to be a good good tenant. Yeah. For those background checks, do you leverage the same uh, background and screening product that the specific specific building uses, or do you guys have one that you use yourself? Yeah, so we use um, specifically uh, uh, AutoHost, and we love it. It's one of the best tools that we possibly could have found because people uh, go through when they go through the portal, they have to show things like an ID. It does the background check, it does sex offender checks, vacation backlist, and so much more. And so, what ends up happening for us is that we're able to see a full profile of the person. 
And this report is also can be shared with the property management and the property management knows when things are cleared or not. So they have their own portal to know. And it also helps like, for instance, if there is a case in which somebody receives a package or they need, uh, they have a lockout and they go to the, the leasing office. We try to deter anything from the leasing office perspective, but it's one way that we're able to really kind of share information and give peace of mind to uh, the property management, which we've had cases in which you know, property management, it may have had a question from people about our units and they can confidently say, well, we know this partner of ours uses background checks. They're going to use the same quality. And we've actively told people when we've denied people that or, that wouldn't stay because we wanted to make sure that we we're doing right by the communities that we're in. Mm. So do you have to inform, and I'm very curious about this because I, you know, like 10 years of doing this, I've never leased out from a major corporation. Um, and I, um, on the coaching call that I had, a lot of these questions were coming up. So I'm trying to remember everything that I was asked. But do you have then to inform the building every time? So do you share the lead? Like, hey, we have this reservation coming in. This is their pre-approval. How do you organize keys? Like, does the building have have a key fob to get in? How do you guys get around those type of nitty gritty kind of things? Yeah, I mean, all of our communities that we're in either have a call box and if they don't have a call box and we have a lockbox that sits on the outside, um, when it comes into actually in the units, we use a smart lock on all of our buildings. So people have an app to use to unlock the door or they have a code. If we have a front facing keypad, some properties don't allow us to do that. But ultimately, we're not having to send a background check for every single person, right? But we have a portal that allows them to access those things and so they know when, it, when a guest has been cleared to stay and when a guest hasn't been cleared. Um, we have only, only a handful of times that they even ask for the actual reports and we gladly send the reports, you know, within 12 hours, it doesn't take that long to generate. So mm -hmm. that's usually been our kind of process flow that we've seen from the buildings that we work in. Awesome. And, um, uh, since you kind of talked about auto host, do you want to kind of share with us? I know you have, um, quite a few people on your team, but when it comes to technology, um, what else do you guys use? You use auto host. I know we spoke online. You have uh, Guesty as well. What other systems do you guys have right now? Yeah, so we use Guesty. We use Autohost. We use Haymarket for SMS messaging. We also use uh, Z we also use Zendesk for other communication. I'm trying to think of what else that we use. Uh, Slack for our own internal team communication. We use mm. proper. We use. Uh, properly for like our cleaning, like management, but now we've switched only to using the Slack. And then I think that's pretty much the main systems that we use that connect everything. We also use a, um, a channel manager to connect the properties to different properties. Uh, so like we're able to be on Expedia and, and HomeAway and other stuff, but we're also on corporate housing portals um, for like corporations, travel nurse portals, and other things that connect to corporate portals. So uh, our property management software is Guesty, but we use a channel manager uh, called SiteMiner to be able to connect to more channels. That's called SiteMiner. Is that what you said? S-I-T-E-M-I-N-D-E-R. Mm -hmm. -E That's interesting. I'm going to pick your brain about that offline because guesty has been pushing me to get on that too. Um, yeah. No, it's been a great switch for us uh, that we're using for our, for our channel management. So it's helped us to be able to tap into portals that we couldn't have ever tapped in before. Um, so definitely a big plug to the, the site minder team. Yeah. And then what does your actual, actual team looks like? Do you keep cleaning in-house? What, what does that look like? 
Yeah, so everything's kind of done. Everything in our team is done in-house. So we have in-house cleaning team, and then I also have what we consider our property manager, our, you know, our kind of ace in the hole, Mr. Fix-It guy, you know, great with uh, customers, help out for any lockouts or any kind of thing, always ready on the dimes. Like, it's really our savior, I think, for our clients. Um, and then we also have a two different teams, a communication team that handles 24-7 communication via phone, SMS, email, and also through channels. Um, and utilizing like our property software or SMS messaging or such. And then we also have a back uh, office administration team that helps with kind of the technicals behind everything and oversees everything and oversees operations. Got it. So are all those people you paid them all on a flat or does some of them have incentive space on the performance or a percentage of what your bookings are? Everything is paid on a flat. So these are all paid employees. Gotcha. So yeah. I'm, ass- I'm assuming the, the communication, the back office, are those all virtual or do you have local people handling that too? So everything is virtual. Uh, we also, I forgot to have I mentioned, we have another team that handles pricing. So a price management team. And, mm-hmm. and so everything is virtual. I mean, everybody's you know, in different parts of the world. So we got people, some people in the States, some people out of the States, and we all communicate through Slack and our communication. I mean, I probably will see, receive about 10, 20, 30 notifications through Slack during the time that we're out here on this podcast, but <laughs> communication flows at all hours of the day. Uh, and we have a real cohesive unit and we make sure that, you know, have, uh, you know, touch bases. We have management meetings once a month and we have, you know, weekly calls to be able to kind of corral the team. You know, I use this opportunity also to share all of our wins, share, you know, the reviews and how people rave about staying in our properties, you know, so. Yeah, uh, I love that. No, really you're building a team and a culture. Hmm. Yes. Yes. I was talking, we were talking about that last night, right? Where it's like, <clears throat> it kind of grows in phases, right? Like as you continue to grow and scale your business, like first, you're just trying to get your head wrapped around. How do I, how do I do all of these things? How do I tie in all this technology? How do I automate it? you know, all the facets of the operation. And then as you start to scale up, call it five, six, 10 units, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, who else can I get on my team now that I'm generating revenue to start supporting all that, to elevate myself out of the business. So like, if, if you look back at kind of like your timeline, at what point did you realize, okay, I'm going to start bringing on other team members. You know, I think most people initially they'll find the cleaner and then they'll leverage some technology. But for you, what did that kind of journey look like for you to evolve into having like a, a good sized team that's running this thing for you? Whew. I mean, I think <laughs> when we got to about four, four or five units, we were already using Guesty's communication services. And so that helped bridge the gap initially to give 24 seven support. But I remember in the early days, I was having to run when it's, people had lockouts. I was getting phone calls at two o'clock in the morning. And I remember saying, this is not a quality of life. Um, and so what ended up happening is that I ended up searching for, uh, first the the admin office team that served also as our communications team. And Mm -hmm. so that began to help me out, but I still had to run out to go and do things. And probably we had that time, but somewhere between like five to seven units and it still was quality piece of quality, but it was just issues that people had maybe like with a lockbox or certain. And so we ended up refining our communications to help kind of improve those things. We saw, more success. So then I began to kind of manage that team, teach them everything I could know about running the first five to seven units so that we could be able to expand the units that we had. That turned into then going out 
and expanding that team so that it was one person that grew to about three or four over time as we expanded to like 10 to 15 units. And when we got to, about the time we got to 20, that's when I was like, all right, got to hire a property manager. And so we hired the property manager. Then over the course of COVID and everything that was kind of happening, that's when we started to look at, you know, bringing in-house the communications aspect. And so in the last two months, we hired an amazing communications team. And so that's when we really expanded our headcount. Um, also during COVID, we hired a new price team. We were using Wheelhouse for our pricing, but we found that the data for us personally just hadn't been updated due to all the coronavirus. So we were probably losing money on the table. And after hiring that pricing team to do in-house and give it like attention every day, rather than just using just software alone, we saw a 20 to 30% increase in revenues. Hmm. So, it, so it paid off more than we could imagine. What, what, what does the price team? So is that a price team of VAs that you've trained in-house or is that through a different company that offers, offers a pricing team? It's a different company called Price Clearo, and they offer uh, management services of pricing. And so they will analyze uh, the trends within the market, they'll analyze events that are going on, and then help you to try to maximize pricing. So they treat it with a manual approach, whereas before we were just using warehouse on recommended aggressive or base pricing. And what we found is that like there was still, for instance, on uh, warehouse's calendar, all these events that had been canceled just due to lockdowns. Um, and everything imposed from COVID-19 restrictions. So our, the accuracy of what we found from wheelhouse pricing wasn't enough accurate for our community. And thus we were seeing like very like low pricing uh, where people were booking and we we're getting to 100% bookings, but we weren't maximizing the most of our revenue. And so now that team is, there are specialists uh, that do this for many different clients, but have done a rock star job for us. That's awesome. What was the name um, of that one again, Brian? Sure. Price Claro. P-R-I-C-E-C-L-A-R-O. Oh my God. I spelled it right. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Brian, what does your, what does your day to day look like? Like as the, as the head of this, as the head of this business, are you just a rainmaker right now? Or you're, you're just chill. What's the, what's the story now? Honestly, uh, a lot of it is the team managing on the day-to-day. I've actually really stepped away from day-to-day. I get maybe pinged to ask a question in Slack on a day-to-day, but for the most part, um, I, I get notifications. I, I look at them because I care about the guests, right? I care about anything that we can do. But I trust the team so much that I, they don't have to butt in. They know they make the best choices. So my focus is this now is that we really focus on, we have a done-for-you Airbnb program in which we have an investment amount that people can invest with us. We'll go out and acquire the properties. We'll use our branding, use our relationships to acquire more. And trust me, we've had buildings ask us to take on more units. So we could definitely use uh, investors into the units. And, and that's what you know focuses my time. But being able to really get investors into this program so we can continue to expand the units that we have while the team manages all the day-to-day operations. And if it gets to me, like and if any situation gets to me, it must be a big situation. Mm-hmm. So the teams kind of have the autonomy to do and make choices that are in the best interest for the clients that we serve and also the business as a whole. I trust them, trust them with my life because they're just awesome. They're an awesome team. I don't know what I'd do without them. Uh, and so my day to day is very sporadic, you know, maybe wake up at 11, start the day, maybe check a message. Maybe I might stay up because I'm learning something and I just happen to, to chat with them at 12 o'clock in the morning, uh, cracking in jokes and, I try to share all the reviews that I possibly can and let people know their hard work does not go unnoticed and that people appreciate everything they do to create great experiences. Mm, yeah, that's huge. 
Um, so I love that you brought up the investor conversation, right? And I think a lot of that, a lot of the times, once you go from four or five units to, to that 20, you're going to have to find some kind of investors, right? Unless mm-hmm. you want to really grow it organically. So where have we been able to find them, one? And two, what does that, how do you organize it, right? So if we have a listener here that maybe has four or five units, they're like, I would love to find an investor. What does your, what do you offer them? Like, what is your, what is your offer? Yeah, so we, we follow the arbitrage model. And so our thing is to go out to find apartment complexes that have units that would be available. Uh, for us, we assume all legal liability. So we go out and sign the contracts in our company's name. We're responsible for those units. That takes the liability off the investors that we work with. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, we do the property management function. Now, what they're providing is to an investment capital for us to go out and get to the furniture and expenses that we need to decorate the units to follow a scheme that's guided by our interior design team, which is contracted out so that we can be able to put more units together. And so what that ends up happening is that we handle all the management uh, and, and liability as well. So from a day to day, we're responding to guests, we're getting bookings, we're advertising on platforms, we're handling the communication, we're handling if there's ever issue, like if a client trashes the place, leaves in place in dirty condition, damages furniture, and utilizing our, our business insurance policy with a million dollar coverage per unit to make sure that we don't have any damages, but most, most importantly, maximizing revenue and cash flow. So what does that mean for the investors in the program? It means that they, they will receive a passive income check, meaning that they're invested within the Airbnb business, but they're not hands-on on anything that has to be done on a day-to-day basis. There's a portal in which they can see all the revenue and bookings, and we provide reports on a monthly basis so that they can be able to see, you know, how is their unit performing. We focus on optimizations to maximize the revenue that they can get, and especially being able to maximize uh, occupancy, but also focusing with a heavy dose on revenue. Yeah. And what's your split there? Split is uh, 80-20 at the moment. So 80% of all uh, revenue goes to uh, the client and 20% goes to us. Yeah, awesome. Uh, eight, sorry, 80% of profits to not revenue. Yeah, 80% yeah. of the profits go to yeah, yeah. the client. 20% goes to us. But so that's something that we're also going to be lowering uh, this year. So it'll actually yeah. drop to an 85-15 split. Got it. So it's almost like a co-hosting in a sense because you kind of give the 80-20 kind of split but mm-hmm. through the arbitrage model, which is very interesting. Um, and then just kind of goes to prove how you can cross pollinate different ideas and different executions to make your own thing happen. Right. right. I have never heard that before. I've never heard anybody else that raises money or gets investors on for arbitrage. Yeah. So uh, it definitely allows for them to be able to reach, you know, being a part of the arbitrage and Airbnb in this whole community without having to put, you know, the most amount of capital and liability ahead. And also we have, you know, a large portfolio. So that helps us them to be on other uh, channels rather than just Airbnb or just starting out or having to respond to those 2 a.m. phone calls, like I mentioned, or having to have issues and trying to prevent the potential parties or trying to screen tenants because ultimately a lot of these places that uh, apartments are at, they don't want a part-time host. They want a full uh, committed and dedicated business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. And for the folks that are listening that, you know, you love the idea of the short-term rentals, but you don't necessarily want to get in the game yourself. It's like you could partner with somebody like Brian and it's like you fund it, he runs it, right? Just like he said, it's like a co-hosting model. So if you if you can't afford to buy a property, but you've got a little bit of cash and you just want to be passive, cool. You can partner up with Brian. I love right. that. 
I mean, especially, you know, people can keep their nine to five jobs and this can help them to build nest eggs, plan for the future. And there's other things for them to be able to, you know, really build a passive residual income that will happen regardless of if anything happens in their jobs. And I think uh, if anything, not what, what, what showed to us from the coronavirus pandemic is that you need some assets working in your favor. Real estate is definitely <laughs> one that's going to be important. And so this is a way for you to get in with a low cost, like you mentioned, uh, Mike, if you can't go out, you don't have the exact funds or maybe the credit not exactly right to be able to purchase a property, but you do have some capital available or access to capital from some ways, we would love to partner with you and help make your dreams alive in 2021. I love that. And speaking, speaking of COVID, what were, what were some lessons for you or I guess, how did you guys pivot, right? I know we've been talking offline about this quite a bit mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, Yes, we're investors, but at the end of the day, we're entrepreneurs, right? So we've got to get scrappy. We've got to get creative. You, you got to learn how to problem solve and pivot when you need to. And I know you've been using that word pivot a lot. And I, I love that. And I want you to just touch on that, on some of the lessons you learned, how you guys did pivot to continue generating revenue, you know, over the last, whatever it was, especially in the heat of it, call it from like March till May of 2020. Right. So we knew who we served. That was the first part, uh, first part that was very important. We had to know exactly what person we served. And we knew that we served mostly business clientele. And so our focus was to make sure that the business clientele could stay with us. Now, what happened is that I think for a lot of people that were in the Airbnb arena is that they really catered towards leisure travel. And that was the, what a lot of people think the platform was built on. But we knew we wanted those long-term bookings. We wanted uh, traveling nurses. We wanted people that were working IT to be able to travel with us. And so when COVID hit, we saw so many cancellations because a lot of it was tied to leisure travel. And so our pivot was to understand businesses still had people that need to move, especially we're close to the medical center in Houston, Texas, one of the largest medical centers in the world. People travel from all around the world just to be able to see, uh, just to be able to see the doctors. And so that means that we also get traveling nurses. We also get uh, doctors that come. So we just really started appealing to those people who had business needs and finding ways to be able to advertise. We really want those long-term stays. And so in the heat of COVID, we received, I think, 54 cancellations. One of the things that we also implemented within the first 12 hours was being able to uh, generate uh, vouchers, travel stay vouchers, so people would keep their existing reservations with us, but they would be able to use those vouchers at any time within the next 12 months because we knew people didn't know that was going to happen. There were a lot of shutdowns. And so because we did that, what that allowed for us to do is be able to retain, I think, 45 or 44 of those bookings. So we only lost about 10. Then what we ended up doing was focusing towards short-term, I mean, long-term. Uh, I would say long-term meaning things are in like a month, but that's not really long-term. And so what that turned into is within a month's time, over 75% of our inventory was booked for the next five months. And the 60 per, 60% of our inventory was booked for the next three. Was it booked for the next, like, uh, I'm sorry. 70% of our inventory was booked for five months. 60% was booked. 70% was booked for thir- for three months. 60% was booked for uh, longer. So it ended up happening that we would just start seeing most of our portfolio was booked for longer periods of times. And then people started extending as well too. Then we started appealing towards people who were traveling and want to get away from the places that they lived in. So what I mean by that is that we saw a large concentration of people coming from New York and California because they were on shutdown. They had nowhere to go. And so they wanted to also save on rent. So a lot of people were leaving the places that they knew and came to Texas because Texas has a lower cost of living. We had a person who signed with us for an entire 12 months. 
So I don't think he leaves until June of 2021. Honestly, we'd be welcome to have him uh, for even longer because he's been a great, great person with us. So it's really just appealing towards what was the change in the behaviors of the people that we wanted to serve. And as we focused on that, that allowed for us to really, I would say, survive and maintain during this pandemic. Mm. Mm. I love those hybrid guests. I've had those hybrid guests, right? That's a lot of my business has always been those hybrid kind of guests that do medium to long term is what I would say. Um, and they're great because they pay a premium, but they also then realize that they're somewhat long term guests, right? So they don't kind of bother you as much, especially yeah. if you find the right people. So they'll start buying their own things, right? They'll start buying their own light bulbs and they'll start doing their own things. And a lot of the times they love it because they feel more taken care of by you. But at the same time, they give you a lot less headache. And I mean, that's, that's, that's great because you guys, you don't have to worry about that property until June, 2021 and maybe longer. Right. You know, the people enjoyed staying with us and it was actually cheaper than his rent in New York, which I still find hard to believe, but you know, <laughs> I'm a Texas boy. So yeah, I, I, no, that's yeah, where, yeah. it's always going to be a stretch for me. So, you know, it's just it, providing value. And these are the type of people that we want to serve, right? We, we knew when we got into this business, we wanted to serve those people with short-term rentals because I, I mean, I have other businesses as well. And, you know, just the ability to be able to work from anywhere because you were remote, you know, people don't take that lightly, but I think people now see the beauty of it. And now people are more flexible about going to different places and where they stay and such. So uh, it definitely, uh, yeah, it definitely, I, we can appeal to it and understand it from a personal standpoint, which helps us, I think, to be better, uh, more em empathetic uh, host to really what people need. Have you guys pivoted at all to uh, extending like your minimum stays? Like, are you trying to do more of like week long stays? Or are you still doing, you know, more of that shorter term? Yeah, we still have the shorter term. We haven't exactly changed anything for our minimum stays because we recognize that we have people that want to stay for longer terms. And we get, um, I think yesterday we had to work with three extensions and one person who came back for another four months. Uh, who had been a past guest. So we get those requests, but to fill in the gaps, we focus on the short-term stays. So we've kept it. And specifically one of our properties that we're at, they specifically asked us to say, hey, we just need somebody to come in here, this corporate housing provider is gonna actually have availability. So they've you know, mentioned to us that we serve a need for them. And that's a, something that we wanna continue to be a good partner on. So that's why we haven't made any changes specifically to our minimum stays. Yeah, I think it gives you more flexibility for sure. So Mark, Mark's got a question in the Facebook group. He says, what are your thoughts on handling properties in another country? I don't think you have that, but I'll be interested to hear your two cents. We're looking at a condo resort style Airbnb that we would like to invest in. We plan to get a co-host to run it while we're gone. What is a good percentage to offer the co-host? I think it's going to depend where you're at, Mark. Um, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30% is pretty standard, at least here in the US. I don't know what it looks like abroad. Um, I don't know if you've done anything international, but I know you're friends with Los and he's got some stuff, right? International. So I don't know what that looks like, but. Yeah, no, we don't have anything international yet. It's something that we've kind of looked at and just waiting for a kind of more st stability within the world and, and definitely in economies. But I would assume, you know, checking those local rates and seeing, because like you mentioned, the U.S. is anywhere from 20, 30 percent for co-hosting. And it's also just getting a person that you can trust, a person that's going to keep up um, the property and do things by a standard that you would deem impossible. So that's one of the things that you just kind of have to kind of manage. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. But but as as one of my mentors always say, if you try to pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys. Right. So exactly. also be very mindful 
of that that even if you're in a different country don't try to get the cheapest thing especially because one you're gonna be far away mm. so just be be mindful of that um so i love that you brought up because that was my next question brian um was what's what's next for you guys like what do you see where do you see your vision going are you looking to as you're more established transition more into co-hosting model you're going to stay with arbitrage you're looking to actually buy stuff yourself what is what is the goal what is the vision yeah we want to expand in arbitrage but we're definitely going to get into purchases i mean or uh hoping planning for you know, later year, we can make acquisitions and maybe hotels or, or even apartment building of our own. So we wanted to be able to explain the portfolio, offer short-term rentals, offer long-term rentals and offer hotels and be able to have a broad portfolio of properties. So we're going to be looking at different ways that we can expand the business and raising the capital necessary so that we can find success with that. And you know, ultimately this is a business. I think uh, when I was 17 years old, there were three things that I knew I wanted to do probably for the rest of my life. One was going to be in real estate. Two was going to be in consulting and like IT and technology, in which I ran a company does that. And the other one was going to be uh, doing uh, like a, a nonprofit and giving scholarships. And I execute pretty much all three of those things right now. And I'm just happy. Like, right. So this is something that the short term real space, real estate, everything that I see that's going to be a long term vision for me. So I'm really excited about what this year is going to bring because we're going into a new norm. I think people are going to start traveling a lot more than they used to before. And I think everybody that's in short term real space is going to see a boon in the economy. And we just want to be positioned to be able to offer every possible option that people could look, look to so that we can be able to make the most with our customers. Yeah. And your market is very similar to ours, right? Like down in South Florida, we're seeing a lot of people flocking here. Um, and I think now with the vaccine and the winter that is inevitably coming up north, <laughs> as Mike can tell us about, um, people are like, okay, well, now the vaccine is here. This is not as bad as it, as it was. And this property is like one third of what I'm paying for my shoebox up here in, in Manhattan. So like, why, why not? Right? Mm-hmm. Love that. So before we wrap up, Brian, um, first off, I want to acknowledge you for all your success and your willingness to just give back and just share all these nuggets, man. I know this has only been about 45 minutes, but I know you've probably spent 40 hours on Clubhouse just dropping gems over the last (laughs) week alone. So appreciate how giving you are with all that, just helping try and, you know, send the elevator back down, right. And help everybody else get up. And, um, you know, I love that about you. And so uh, before we get into the last question, where can folks learn more about you, more, learn more about some of those investing opportunities, your podcast, like where can folks get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, feel free to contact me. My social media handles are all the same. Uh, Brian Hale Fontenot, whether you look on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, uh, feel free to send me a direct message. I got an appointment calendar. You can go to my website, brianalfontenot.com and book a consultation phone call with me. If there's tips or things that you're looking for in your business. And if you're especially curious about the, uh, in the you program or drift or travels investor program, I'd love to be able to share more, but just don't hesitate to reach out to me because I want to be able to help as many people as I can. You'll catch me in clubhouse sometimes like last night till 12 o'clock in the morning. So I'll try to drop as many gyms as I can, but any questions, just don't hesitate to reach out to me. I try to make myself as successful as possible. Love that, man. Thank you again. And so the last question that we like to ask all of our guests is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? Ooh, uh, my number one secret would be 
really understanding who the person I serve and making every decision based upon what I think is most important to their needs. I try, as long as you anticipate the people's needs uh, that you serve, you will find success to the highest degree. Mm. So good. Wow. So good. That is amazing. And guys, really join Clubhouse because that is your chance to just have mentors to your fingertips and be able to ask questions. Because as you listen to podcasts, you might get the next clue. And then once you do that next step, then you're like, okay, what now? So instead of waiting between podcasts, you can just follow us, follow all of us on Clubhouse. We're there all the time. And then there you can literally come up, ask the question that you have, go back to your lab, implement it, and then come back, ask for the next question. And we're really all here. Like, I want to see, this is one of my main intentions for this year, growth all around. And I think it's the perfect time for Clubhouse to come out as a gift from the universe because um, I remember when we all got started, it was so hard to find mentors for short-term rentals. Actually, most old-timers were like, don't do that. Like, that's not a business, right? And now there is so much access, so much content, so much information at your fingertips. Um, and I am learning all the time. I have like a page and a half of notes from Brian. Uh, so hopefully I can be more like him when I grow up. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome to have you, man. And take Brian up on that offer, man. Check out his website, man. Book that call. I mean, this dude is a wealth of knowledge. So don't, don't let these opportunities pass you by, man. There's always opportunities knocking. You just got to open that door. Uh, Definitely don't hesitate to reach out to me. A lot of people have been in my DMs over the last week. I've had more phone calls this week. I think I've ever had, but it's a great way to start the year. Um, I get energized being around all this energy, like being on on panels with y'all too. And just hearing the energy from other people, like energize me. And, you know, I learned so much from y'all. It just like people learns from me. But, you know, I think that as a community, we grow together because, I mean, let's be honest, our short-term rentals, our real competition, not our other, like people that do short-term rentals, is the hotels. That's where the business really mostly comes from. So uh, there's so much to gain when being a part of the community, especially if you don't exactly know where to find your first mentor. There's so many people on Clubhouse that I can think of that would mentor you, including myself. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out to us and thank y'all both for the opportunity on this podcast to be able to use and share the kind of a platform. There's some nuggets that may help somebody. Cause I mean, this is the year that you can take advantage by the horns. Every morning I try to start with some reason of gratitude and with something I'm thankful for. And it's being intentional about the discipline that it takes for me to reach my goals. I have goals posted everywhere in my house. I, have, I do them every year before the new year. And I have to make sure like I haven't even had my bathroom so that no matter how many times I go to the bathroom, I have to see my goals. And it's those things that little things that you do when you don't feel like doing them, that's the discipline that you take and the courage. And if you do those things and you do it consistently, you will find success. Mm-hmm. So good. now go work guys. <laughs> go get it. Thank you again, Brian. Really appreciate you, man. Everybody else. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Hey, STR Nation. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes. And we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.